This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. In a move that was surprising to many, the state of California passed a bill that will ban all future soda taxes until January 1st, 2031. It basically ends up being an almost 12-year hiatus. That came after pressure by the beverage industry to get a ballot initiative that would have looked at making it harder to get any new local taxes done in the future. Local taxes of any kind. So California becomes the third state to have such a ban like this. But what will the impact be? Jason Reese is a senior research fellow here at the Wharton School and founder of the consulting firm Behavioralize. He joins us on the phone, as does Karen Glanz, professor of epidemiology and nursing at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as an affiliated faculty member at the Center for Health Incentives and Behavioral Economics. And also Christina Roberto joining us on the phone, an assistant professor of medical ethics and health policy at Penn's Perelman School of Medicine. Jason, Karen, Christina, to all of you, a welcome and thank you for your time today. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, It seems like, uh, Jason, I'll start with you. It was a bit of a shocker for the state of California to do this, especially since California has several cities already with soda taxes. But when you get deeper into the story, uh, California saw, I guess, to a degree, the bigger picture on this in terms of taxing in general. Yeah, it was a bit of an interesting move from a political perspective. It seems that many of the legislators were choosing what they themselves perceived to be the lesser of two evils. So they supported this broad-based law uh, preventing new soda taxes, saying we would rather do that than have uh, a more uh, broad-based state-level initiative that makes it harder to raise taxes on anything. Uh, So even if they themselves may favor local taxes on soda or allowing them, they said just as as a practical move, We'll get behind this. That's at least what some of them said. That's what the reporting is. Christina, then, what do you think is the impact of the state of California making this move? And specifically because not only did you have the few cities that already had a soda tax in play, but others were getting ready to have uh, these come up in the November elections as potential other cities that would have a, a soda tax of some kind. Yes. I mean, look, from a public health perspective, it's a disappointment. I think taxes on uh, sugary beverages hold promise as one of the most potent and powerful interventions. So the existing cities that have these taxes, they won't be affected. um, But certainly there was momentum for more places doing it. And I think this will at least temporarily stall that momentum. The other part of the story, though, is that at the state level, you might see a move there where they could pass a statewide tax. And if that happened, that actually could be a really good outcome. Karen, what's been your reaction? Um, ditto uh, to what Christina said. And to add on to that, I um, get some alerts that come out, you know, every day. And that exactly the case um, is being said by advocates, at least, that they are empowered and um, inspired to do something at the state level. So just to, to clarify, this bill that was passed um, prohibits any new local taxes, yeah. so that'd be city, county, et cetera. It does not um, prevent any state-level taxes. Of course, one of the reasons we don't have state-level taxes in this space is that it's so hard to get a state legislature to all 
you know, gather around this. But uh, the the news out of California is that the California Medical Association and the California Dental Association um, announced that they are advocating and pushing for a statewide two cents an ounce uh, sugary tax initiative. So um, stay tuned. And other states have this in play as well. Pennsylvania, Karen, is one of them that uh, has a measure at the state house level right now, uh, even though uh, that the representatives are on uh, summer break at this point. But it is one of several states that has some sort of an initiative, uh, you know, potentially in the works right now. Uh, yeah, Pennsylvania legislature um, did not go very far with a similar initiative a few years ago, but that was before Philadelphia um, passed its tax. Um, may happen again. Uh, there was something along these lines that just happened last week um, in relation to tobacco laws. Um, this very quietly and under the radar, the um, state legislature in Harrisburg passed a law that bans any new laws and regulations about the sale of tobacco in any local jurisdictions in Pennsylvania. And that was just as uh, Pennsylvania uh, and Philadelphia City Council had come to an agreement about banning candy-flavored tobacco product sales for, um, except in specialty tobacco shots. So this this kind of angle, this um, approach is, you know, is straight out of the tobacco industry playbook, and the tobacco industry is still busy with it, too. To Jason and Christina, and Jason, I'll start with you. Do, are, are we getting any closer to to really truly having an understanding of of the impact that these taxes are having on the consumption of uh, of soda and on the impact of uh, of this on people's uh, health at this point? Well, I, I will actually be interested to hear Christina's response to that because she's involved in a major study of the impact of the tax here in Philadelphia. The, the things that, that I would say is, you know, you, you can think about the mechanisms that would lead to an impact of a tax like this. And one, of course, is just anytime prices are higher, consumers tend to buy uh, less of them and buy other things instead. What's particularly interesting about taxes like this, these kinds of sin taxes, is they, they place uh, kind of a new branding around the whole category of that product, and they can potentially change the social norm. That is, the degree to which people think it is normal or okay to buy products in that category. Do parents think it's okay to buy sugared soda for their kids? When those products get an extra tax, parents may start to look at that and say, well, why is that tax there? That's because the public health officials are saying this product is not healthy, <clears throat> excuse me, for my kids. And that can change their overall attitude towards it, even if the, the pennies on the ounce don't make a material impact on their, on their pocketbooks. So the ability of these kinds of legislation uh, to change attitudes is, I think, the, the very interesting part. Now, that's the, that's the harder part to measure. Christina? Yes, no, I absolutely agree with Jason. I think it's a really important point because when these taxes come up and for discussion, there ends up being a lot of debate in the city, a lot of news stories, a lot of uh, conversation around it. And so I think changing social norms is one powerful mechanism. Um, what we're seeing when you look at the literature on beverage taxes is basically some data out of Mexico uh, over two years that suggests that there's about a 8 to 10 percent decline in sugary beverages. But one problem there is they can study it within Mexico, but there's not a good control or comparison place to compare. To. Now, Berkeley, California, which was the first city in the U.S. to pass one of these taxes, we have a little bit more data from there. 
So there's one study that estimates about a 10% drop in sugary beverage sales in Berkeley, about a 16% increase in bottled water sales. That being said, there's another study which finds actually not, not too much of an effect. So although in that study they saw about a 10% drop in sugary beverage sales at supermarkets, they estimate about half of that is offset by people just hopping across the border and buying. Um, so we still have some mixed results here, and I think Philly gives us an opportunity to understand how this tax would play out in a really large urban city, a very racially and ethnically diverse city, and a city that's the, the poorest of the 10 largest cities. So I think there's a lot of eyes on Philly. And what I can tell you about what we know from Philly so far is preliminary data that we've looked at um, and some other reports that are out there are showing that the tax is leading to about a 50 to 60 percent drop in sugary beverage sales in the city. Wow. And that is huge. Yeah. Now, the, the, the question that has been brought up, and for those people listening around the country, uh, in terms of Philadelphia, Christina, one of the things that has been brought up is whether or not there's an element of, of that loss which is being picked up by people going and buying their product out in the suburbs, outside of the city limits, that may be a little bit uh, of, of an impact there as well. But 50 to 60% drop in, in consumption in the city, that's a staggering number. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I should say that we don't. So what we're looking at is sales of these beverages. And right. so the next piece of this is what are people actually taking in, right? What are they drinking? And then you were asking about what happens to these downstream health effects. And so those remain open questions. Um, we don't have a lot of good data to know how does that translate to consumption. But given these large declines in sales volume, I, I would predict that, um, you know, there'd be a, a lot of that spilling over and, and influencing people's consumption. And the, the last thing I'll say is I can tell you that in terms of this issue with people crossing the border. In our data, we're seeing, yeah, some of that does happen, but it's only offsetting about a quarter uh, of the tax effect. Well, Karen, I mean, from the health perspective, I mean, this is going to be a a topic that will continue to be be looked at for, you know, for years to come, because we're truly, we're going to be able to understand this more as we take this out five years and 10 years and understand if if there is a, a significant health uh, change in people's uh, mindset in terms of consumption, but also their health outcomes in, in terms of, you know, uh, the impact on their lives. Yeah, no, I think you're you're right. And, you know, if you asked us the same question five years ago, we would say, oh, it's not in the cards. But, you know, look at all the things that have happened and all the momentum, and it's not a straight line. There is, you know, one step forward and, uh, you know, a half a step backward, like what's going on in California. Um, And I want to add on one thing to um, what Christina said is, is, and to your question about people kind of going across the border, which is something that's very easy to happen with city, local types of taxes. And, of course, even with southeastern Pennsylvania, we have two states that are, you know, within, you know, a half hour's drive. Well, re- really, it. really three states. You want to throw Delaware in there, too. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, and we've, and we've seen that with, um, you know, alcohol, beverage sales and state control of, of those in the past. But But there's also another interesting angle, which is that there are a lot of people that commute and spend their days in Philadelphia that live in the suburbs. So there's a possible um, impact that could reduce their consumption as well, even though they don't live here. So this, you know, kind of uh, city borders go both ways. Jason, your reaction? Yeah, and those, those effects are all difficult to dis, uh, to disentangle, um, but the the mechanisms for those different effects seem there. Let me throw in one one additional impact of 
the, the way that this particular set of legislation went down in California is that we, we don't know the effects of the negative press on the soda industry as a whole, which is already right. that industry is already under the gun. Uh, there are many trends that have people moving away from big soda. Is this another one that puts them in a negative light? Um, and the degree to which they're seen to be actively involved in these kinds of political processes, not not likely to be something that that helps their reputation. Well, and realistically, it, it, from the way it looks like it's playing out, the, the soda industry basically came forward, Jason, with an idea that would potentially need a supermajority vote to get any tax pay, uh, passed. And, and many consumers are obviously worried about a higher level of tax in general in their state, in their municipality, whatever it might be. The, going back to what you were just saying, the perception of the soda industry now could be, well, you know, they kind of brought brought this idea forward, which many consumers may very well like, yet they pulled it off the table just to get what they want. Yeah, it may look uh, very self-serving. And, you know, I think in most cities, consumers also recognize the need for resources for infrastructure and social services and recognize that those local taxes are one of the ways that cities create the revenue to provide those sorts of services that the residents greatly value. Christina, do you expect that we are going to see more and more states really look at at the possibility of soda taxes, whether it be at the local level or at the state level at this point, because of some of this preliminary evidence that, that we are seeing come in? I do think so. I mean, policymakers, you know, they get it. They get that obesity and its chronic diseases are a huge issue. They're worried about that. But taxes can be a win-win because they generate revenue, right? So in Philadelphia, they can take the money from the tax um, and, and put it into a whole bunch of really needed programs around universal pre-K, around parks and rec. And people in the city do value that and, and get the need for that. Um, so I do think when you look at the range of policy options, taxes tend to rise to the top because of this dual purpose. Karen? Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think there's, you know, one of the things I think you're hearing from all three of us is how complicated these issues are and yeah. how hard it is to kind of study them in a clear-cut way. All that said, I do think movement is in the direction of increasing the odds of, of taxes and of um, making these products more expensive. But another thing, and uh, Jason was using the term big soda and you know, it is true that um, sugary beverages and traditional so-called soft drinks, um, both sugary and the unsugary, the diet types, have really declined in their sales. But there's something else replacing them, which is a whole new, you know, eat tons and tons of new products. And many of those products have sugar in them just the same. Um, they may not be carbonated. Um, they may be teas. They may be flavored waters. Um, some of them are, are have no sugar as well. But um, it's really making the mix quite complicated. And that, that was actually one of the complaints from grocers in Philadelphia, that they had to figure out which beverages they had to tax because it, it isn't just, you know, Coke and Pepsi. It's um, yeah. just a whole raft of, of products and that's what we're. That's what industry does. Industry does that well. They say if they see something going down, they're going to push for something else to replace it. 
But uh, Jason, obviously, the, the, what has driven this up until this point is the local nature of it. The fact that this has been city by city. Obviously, there are a lot of communities that have been looking at this for for quite some time. And the question is whether or not communities can continue to drive this kind of a push. Obviously, working with with health advocates along the way. Yeah, well, I mean, we have seen the transition from local politics to state and national politics. We saw that with calorie labeling, which started in a number of uh, jurisdictions, calorie labeling on uh, on on uh, uh, restaurant foods and quick serve foods that yep. began in New York from a local initiative and then became a national initiative. Um, it's, it's understandable that these things would start locally because local politics are so much more diverse and uh, there's so many more opportunities for activists um, on on both sides to find a jurisdiction that is likely to respond. Um, So it provides a whole bunch of little experimental opportunities uh, for a much bigger project. Karen, you you mentioned the, the the kind of the link in the in the path being followed between the beverage industry and what the tobacco industry had done for years. Obviously, tobacco and, and how that has been impacted with warning labels and such uh, is one outcome that has occurred for and that industry has had to deal with. What is what potentially would the beverage industry be looking at in terms of you know are we looking at someday down the road seeing some sort of labeling of some kind talking about the health benefits or detractions I should say uh, of drinking soda? Um, well, there you know those ideas have been put out, and uh, Christina has actually just uh, is just in the early stages of beginning um, a study on that topic that I'm a, a collaborator on. Um, so there there are you know, some initial data, some of them are favorable, some of them show no change. Um, it's tricky in the sense that nobody needs to smoke, and there's there, and yet people do need to drink and eat. Um, and so, you know, soda has been singled out because there, there are very good data that suggest that it's a big contributor to the excess calories. Um, in Western diets and diets all over the world, in fact. Um, but it's not as if you can say that's going to kill you the way that you, we can say, you know, biologically, we can say that tobacco leads to deadly diseases. Yeah. So so there, there is potential there. There's promise. And I think it's, um, it's going to be very interesting to see what um, – additional research tells us about that and because i think the research um, has a lot of potential to influence the policies that are kind of coming on board christina yeah i think warning labels are an interesting one so california introduced a bill a few years ago to put warning labels on sugary drinks um, and they had another one floating out there and there's been a court case on this to actually label advertisements of sugary drinks. Baltimore tried to introduce a bill at the city level. So there are these bills floating around. I can tell you in some of the research we've done in just hypothetical studies. So these these are people getting randomized to see different kinds of labels and then they're picking drinks for their kids or adolescents picking a drink. We saw some pretty promising results with the labels decreasing the likelihood that parents and adolescents would select a sugary drink in a way that we didn't see with calorie labels. Um, So right now the beverage industry puts calorie labels on all their beverages, but that doesn't seem to move people very much. But as Karen pointed out, I mean, 
there's wide open and many questions here, a wide open need for research. Um, but I will say you're starting to see around the whole globe, like the Philippines just announced they're going to do these warning labels. And there's a lot of interesting questions around, do you do a text-based label or do you add a graphic onto that? What's politically feasible? We'd predict that if you put a graphic on there, like uh, displaying the amount of sugar or a graphic on there showing, you know, an amputated leg from diabetes, um, that that'd be more likely to move people than just a text label. Um, so lots to be done, but an interesting uh, potential solution. But the appearance of the label probably would also have to be a, an important avenue as well, because I just think, you know, the last time that I grabbed a soda, I mean, the, the, the labeling of, of the sugar content within a soda is almost blended right into the to the packaging itself. You need something that stands out and, and will distinguish it uh, and, and distinguish the message, correct? Yes, absolutely. And the other point to underscore here, and Karen was making this earlier, is um, so when we looked at our data, when labels are shifting people, it's not shifting people on soda. They know soda is bad for them. Where it's shifting them is on these drinks that they don't realize are loaded with sugar, the sports drinks, the, these you know flavored teas. Um, and so I think there's still this role for educating people around some of these drinks that, that have this health halo that people think are healthy. Great having you all with us today. Thank you for your input. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Great having you all. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.